0: I am Ben Doc Askins, the psychedelic science war storyteller, and this is the Anti Heroes Journey podcast. Hey, everybody, Doc here. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want it to be possible for me to continue to make it, then I'm going to need you to go to my store at antiheroesjourney.com and buy my audiobook and my ebook and one of the many translations available. Or go to shop and pick out some of my stuff t shirts and hats and pet bandanas and bikinis and scented candles and all sorts of nonsense. All the things you could ever want and never need. And get 10% off with the code, all caps, FRIEND10. Go to antiheroesjourney.com and use the code, all caps, FRIEND10 to get 10% off anything that you could ever want there. I appreciate your support. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. What's up, all you anti heroes out there? I hope the journey's been kind to you. We've got another Q5 podcast episode that we're bringing to you where I ask some really awesome people, my Five favorite questions that I use in preparatory sessions for ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. Today, I've got Susan Austerman, and she is the founder of the Veloma Foundation, which provides peer grief support and other resources to bereaved families with the ultimate goal of creating national memorial gardens to honor the lives lost to substance-related causes. She is a drug policy reform advocate who has been advocating for the safe, equitable use of psychedelic medicine since being unable to access Ibogaine to treat her son's opioid use disorder. She is also the program manager for a national overdose prevention hotline and the substance use and harm reduction community ambassador for Reason for Hope. Susan believes the drastic increase in young deaths... Of despair is a call to action for parents to use their fierce, unconditional love to transform our toxic culture into a more compassionate and connected society. Susan, it's an honor to have you on the podcast today.
1: Thank you. It's an honor to be here.
0: So we're going to get things rolling with question number one, what is your story?
1: Okay. Well, I grew up in a suburban home on the East Coast Catholic school. Had some childhood trauma, used psychedelics myself at a young age, and um, was actually arrested very young and went to a teen wilderness program, which luckily I did well at. You know, I know there's a lot of problems with those programs these days. And I kind of straightened myself out by about 16 and married a Marine at 21, had my first child at 22 second at 23, a day later, year and a day. And then uh, just kind of had the normal suburban life until some problems with my marriage and um, went on to be gaslit and started taking a lot of medication for a misdiagnosed bipolar disorder for many years. Ended up getting divorced. And my, my son, who at the time was about 12. He didn't do well with the divorce. He had a lot of anxiety from childhood and he began to self medicate his anxiety with substances. About 18, I learned he um, had been taking my mom's pain pills and that quickly turned to injecting heroin, fentanyl. Immediately from the start, we were failed by the system. My first, you know, when I learned he was using it, he he was going through withdrawal for the first time, and he came to me, and he had cramps in his hands, and he's like, I don't know what's going on. He was terrified, so I called my family doctor, and he said, you know, take him to the ER. I took him to the ER, and um, they put him on a gurney in the hallway and left him sit there. Uh, Wouldn't even give him IV hydration, you know, they just, and I was like, you know, why aren't you helping my child? What's going on, you know? Eventually... Well, that day, they found one rehab that was 415 miles away because my son was on his father's TRICARE insurance, and it was horrible. They, nothing. So uh, as I was trying to find a closer location, he couldn't deal with the withdrawal anymore. I ended up using it again and got in a car accident, totaled his car. So I flew him down to this one option that we had. And... um it basically did nothing for him. He proceeded over the next six years to be in and out of different treatment centers for, he went to 15 total. No help, these these places were a joke. And then he stayed sober for 11 months leading up to my wedding, which was kind of nice, you know, walk me down the aisle. And then he relapsed again and it got real bad. He was on the street in Kensington by choice. His shame wouldn't allow him to come home. Then he, uh, I've learned about Ibogaine from a a good friend of mine, a a doctor, and immediately dove into research. And I was like, why? Why isn't this available? But at the time, I didn't put a lot of thought into it that I just wanted to get access. And then um, I started to uh, make plans to take him to South America, and COVID hit, and they closed the passport office. So I couldn't take him out of the country. And then he contracted endocarditis, which precluded him from being eligible because of his heart. Uh, he had open heart surgery. Not too long before that, about two years before that, he was arrested for paraphernalia charge for a unused syringe. That was devastating for him. He it added to his hopelessness. He felt like a criminal. It was really hard. Also scared him, you know, from buying clean syringes. So he was reusing syringes. That's what led to the endocarditis.
0: And Ibogaine is known to have some cardiotoxicity. So having a history of endocarditis would be a reason to be excluded from clinical trials and potentially from treatment with Ibogaine as well, even though that's not well researched and mapped out yet at this point, in my understanding.
1: Right. And and that made me nervous just because he was, um I, it, it was so new to me anyway, and leaving the country. I didn't want to take that risk at that point. It wasn't enough time anyway. He, um after he got out of the hospital, he came home and he was committed to staying sober. He didn't want to take Suboxone or methadone. He said it made him feel spiritually disconnected and foggy. He didn't feel sober when he took those things. He felt the same as he did when he used heroin. And I know they are wonderful medications and they work for tons of people. So I'm not in any way dismissing them, but he just didn't want to use them. So he got his medical marijuana card and he wanted to use that to help with his cravings. And it was working. It was working well. But then he got picked up on a um, probation violation for missing an appointment while he was in the hospital. They incarcerated him for two weeks. And um, during that time, they, I didn't know, he didn't know that they shut off his Medicaid. They wouldn't release him from jail until he was set up to go into a county approved recovery home, which didn't allow medical marijuana use. So he, he went there and um, shortly thereafter, he, he relapsed again. And we tried to get him into detox. And that's when we learned he didn't have medical insurance anymore which was illegal. Um, There was a law passed that they they weren't allowed to do that. Didn't know at the time. So uh, we applied for county funding to pay for him to go, and they wouldn't fund him because he had a medical marijuana card. So he was brokered into um, one of the bad facilities. He died two weeks later. I'm thankful for the time that we had together after he was sick because he came home and we were able to heal our relationship. But he was was a special kid. My mini-me. So, uh, shortly after his funeral, I made a list of every intersection that I felt could have prevented his death. Going back to... Our first hospital encounter, this is mistreatment, how stigma and shame really led to the lack of services available, the inability to access Ibogaine, which was like what? You know, it's so deep and corrupt. And so I've been kind of tackling each one of those issues since then and really thought that this advocacy thing would last a couple weeks. Um, I would find all the answers, and someone up there, really smart and 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 capable, was handling all those things. And I've yet to find that person. <laughs> so it's been two and a half years, and I'm I'm not even close to down halfway my list. There's a lot of problems in this country, a lot of problems, and it's uh, kind of scary.
0: Strategic Navigators reduced my income tax bill by over 50%. These guys save entrepreneurs anywhere from 40 to 60% on their income taxes. Click the link in the description to schedule a call and see what these guys can do for you. If you enjoy paying as much as possible in taxes, then just ignore everything I just said.
1: But I do believe, like you said in my bio, that um, the moms particularly, no offense to dads, it just seems to be mostly moms, are really going to move the needle on this because we have no fear. We've lost our children. I'm not afraid to go to jail. I'm not afraid to not have money. I don't care. Those things don't bother me. Like this mission is we're not going to stop. And, um, you know, you picture the moms lifting up the cars from their kids. It's kind of like that. There's a lot of us. Although sometimes it's like hurting cats because we all have grief brain, but um, you know I do. I have faith. I think that the connection to ourselves and to each other is what's missing in this country, and the earth. You know, taking care of the earth, all of those things. And I think that moms have the ability to really uh, guide people with love, but also forcefully. Um. So that's that's about my story and I think I might have covered your second question in there too.
0: Yeah you uh, yeah. you anticipated a whole bunch of what I was already gonna ask anyway right but the interview questions are just intended to be an opportunity for you to you know to speak from your heart and uh, give you a platform from which to do that so like we can throw the questions out if you want to or whatever um, but what a beautiful. Trajectory you're on, so just filled with so much pain, but also so much love for your son, for all the sons and all the daughters, and everyone else out there.
1: They're kind of one and the (laughs) same, you know. That loved the pain is is because of so much love, and we need somewhere for that energy to go. So a lot of times it's transformed over into all vulnerable populations, um, those who really need mothering, need our love, need our voice. And also, anything, any of our goals that were self-geared, you know, they they don't look the same. I will die sad. I know that, you know, Uh, and accepting that is is really the healthiest thing you can do to move forward. I see parents who wake up every day and expect to feel better, and they have that disappointment every day. I think accepting that this is never going to get better is is really a healthy way to move forward. And I'll say that, you know, I'll, I'm going to die sad. Be like, oh, no, no, it's going to get better. It, it's not. <laughs> you, know? you wake up in the morning and you ping your child, You your, all your children, you need to know where they're at, where they're see Every morning, I'm blindsided with, he's not here. So I anticipate that every day. And uh, I get through it and I move on. However, your goals are shifted to... How do I help humanity? Um, it's not about me anymore. There is no, not that there's no joy. I have I have a wonderful daughter who brings me a, a, tons of joy in her family. Um, it's just different. Everything, you redefine joy more with fulfillment. You have to do things that are fulfilling. I need to be needed. And there are populations within this society that need me. And I need to be their voice.
0: Yeah. Uh, My mission is to embody all of life's paradoxes in a way that overcomes fear with love. And I hear that love and that fearlessness in you. And I think it's an amazing thing. And, uh, you know, in as much as I can ever help, I will.
1: I appreciate that. It's funny you say that. That's what I tell parents who are raising kids who still are struggling with addiction. Um, You really have to tap into your mom gut. You got to get away from the fear because your mom gut knows you know you know when your child's hungry when they're a baby and there were so many times when my son was sick where my insides were screaming to do the opposite of what I was being told and those are the things that I regret so I try to tell mom so since your mom gut try to overcome the fear and move forward with love and it's difficult you know because there's just so much deeply ingrained expectations stigma um People are told all the time to kick them out. You're enabling them when really they need love.
0: Yeah. And and fear is a gift whenever it's properly uh, understood. That instinct to survive is a gift that gets, you know, short circuited by a lot of things at this point so that it's, you know, turned into anxiety and worry and a, a whole bunch of things that it's not really meant for. Like fear used properly isn't something to be afraid of, right? It's that fight or flight instinct. We've all got a fear circuit wired into our brains and it's there for a reason, but we can overcome all of these, uh, these uh, lesser fears with the sort of love, this sort of parental maternal love that you're describing.
1: And then that's what happens kind of you, you get to a point where you're reacting in fight or flight to your own child because you're, you're terrified for their life and they've hurt you, not intentionally, but there's there's a trauma there. So it's really difficult to see that and identify it, but sometimes just bringing it to a, a parent's attention, they recognize it and they're able to kind of shift how they're parenting.
0: Yeah. We've talked a bit about the past with uh, your story and a bit about your you know, intentions for the future in creating this coalition of moms to respond to the needs of society really those are some of the intentions that you're setting are there other intentions that you have set
1: i hope to make some of these positive changes and work on the gardens that was really my vision right after i had him and what i found comfort in and i think it can be beneficial to a lot of people i see myself retiring kind of in in that where i can get back to just what I love and that's just working with the earth and gardening so uh, we need we need memorials for these individuals so that's kind of I'm hoping to eventually shift from advocacy more to working with um, comforting parents more
0: yeah be your sword into plowshares I think it says somewhere in some ancient religious texts something like that back out to the farm that's a beautiful thing what are you grateful for
1: I'm grateful for my network of um, warrior advocates in all spaces, not just moms. I've met some incredible veterans who are out there, like yourself, telling the story, normalizing mental health issues. That's huge, I think, in this country. So I'm very grateful for the connections I've made. I have an amazing network of other parents and, and mothers, and it's a very genuine network. We're all very... Real and I need that in my life. I have no filter anymore. I need to be, <laughs> uh, so I'm very grateful for that. I'm very grateful for my daughter and her family and my husband.
0: Fearlessly unfiltered, I'm a fan.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so what are you creating? You've talked about the memorial gardens. You know, you've talked about the advocacy. Are there things that you're creating in your own personal life or public life?
1: I want to really pull also government transparency. I want to heal the relationship between our, our regulatory agencies and the people. Um, it's not talked about very much. I know that when I started digging into pharma and all, I stopped all of my medications, there's a, there's a lot of issues and they need to be healed. And I think the only way to do that is through government transparency. So I, I feel like that's, that's something I want to create a, a path to that. People are tired of the old used car sales tactics, and we definitely don't need them in government. I agree.
0: I, I mean, that brings us to the fifth question: Who are you really?
1: This is me, really. That I mean, there's just no. I can't be anything else. Losing a child takes you back to zero. There are definitely times that I see my my shadows and and my ego building back up, and i it's its a struggle, but I, I try to keep that down. I, I like being me. I like hearing myself. I don't trust anybody, but I trust myself so, so hard right now. You know, I, I like that. So, yeah, this is me. I'm it truly.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is us.
1: <laughs> Do you
0: have any final thoughts for everyone?
1: Just please try to quiet the noise in your life and trust your gut that's my advice to everybody always it's right usually always i'll say
0: i couldn't possibly add anything to that thank you for coming on the podcast thank you doc out